This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Epilepsy is the fourth most common neurological disorder and affects people of all ages. And it's a condition that also affects one in 100 Canadians. Here with me in studio to discuss is the CEO of Epilepsy South Central Ontario, Cynthia Milburn. Cynthia, hi. Hi. And on the phone is Dr. Edward Berkovich, neurologist and epileptologist. Doctor, hello. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Why the need, Cynthia, for a month to focus on epilepsy? So March is Epilepsy Awareness Month because, as you said, one in 100 people have epilepsy. And it is um, a condition that affects people um, throughout their entire life, often um, from childhood right through their entire life. And and then some people acquire it during uh, their older years as the brain ages. And this is definitely a a condition where it, it affects driving, it affects employment, it affects their uh, social relationships and we provide the um, the awareness so people who actually have the condition ha- can be connected with us at the community agency and receive the support that they require. Doctor, are people born with epilepsy or can they develop it or both? Uh, so that's a, a very good question. Um, it is actually both um, and I, I should interject that I often get this question that patients come to me and say, how can I possibly have epilepsy? As I, you know, it's, I was always told it's only for children. Um, and as an adult uh, epileptologist, my, my specialty is, is, is epilepsy. And I see patients from all walks of life get it, either as, as children, always adults. But I've seen quite a lot who started off in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, and my, I had a patient that I've just made a diagnosis in her mid-80s. Um, she's probably had it you know, for many years, but just nobody's really made that diagnosis and so obviously very surprised about it that it doesn't obviously affect lifestyle as Cynthia mentioned uh, but yes it, it happens at all walks of life and as, as our population is getting older we're starting to realize it more so that the actual um, incidence of it is growing um, so we it used to be thought of just as a childhood and early adult disease but as now our population is growing so we're seeing more of it happen in the 50s and 60s and even more happening as someone's getting to their 80s. Doctor, does medical science know why this is uh, the case? What leads to the development of epilepsy? It's quite a lot of different conditions that can cause it. Um, I should say that my job as an epileptologist is to make sure that someone has epilepsy because as we get older, we're also more likely to have other conditions. So more, a lot of times I found someone just having fainting spells and they thought they're having seizures or they're having little mini uh, strokes or they're having mini heart blocks. Um, so it, obviously to make sure that what we're dealing with is a, a seizures or epilepsy, um, but it can be multiple things. So it can be a condition that has been just been unraveled because of a traumatic brain injury. It can be situations such as a, a, a previous strokes. It can be uh, the onset of uh, cognitive impairment or dementia. Um, so there's multiple reasons. And as you mentioned about the people born with it, I do have my own share of patients who are, have a, probably a genetic component. Um, and they've only presented now with the seizures, uh, which is quite rare, but it's important 
to catch it because those kind of patients may not try respond to the same medications that other patients respond to. Well, this is certainly your opportunity as a listener to Zoomer Radio. If you are affected uh, with epilepsy, if you're living with it, if you were recently diagnosed or you have a loved one in the same situation, your calls are welcome, 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-744-740. Cynthia, let's talk about the signs and symptoms of epilepsy. Well, sometimes they're um, very, very subtle, and often it takes many years to diagnose. I think Edward would agree with me uh, to diagnose epilepsy. The signs would be something as subtle as staring, or and as people get older, I know the the symptoms are misdiagnosed. So they could be picking at their clothing, or just kind of stare off into space and come back. And just I, I think people know their own bodies, and then they notice that something is different and that perhaps they're not focusing well or they're not concentrating as well. So they're, everybody's different and every sign and symptom is subtly different. My daughter, when she was a baby, had an epileptic seizure mm-hmm. and you just brought back that memory crystal clear in my mind. She was all of maybe one year old and, and that's what happened. She started staring off into space and I, I swore in that moment she was turning gray. So I called 911. It's the only time in my entire life I've called 911. I thought, what's the worst that can happen? She, you know, she'll be fine, right? And um, it turned out that it was it was a good idea on my behalf because it, it appeared she'd stop breathing, but in fact was having a seizure as a result of her fever spiking. Exactly. And uh, if I may interject here, um, people often misunderstand that they think that someone is not uh, uh, breathing, and, and that's actually part of the seizure. So as, as Cynthia has mentioned, there are different types of seizures. Uh, the one that everybody's more comfortable or, and aware of is, is something called tonic-clonic, which is a, or used to be called, quote, grand mal. Um, and actually, the person will stop breathing because at that point, all the body goes rigid, and so does the diaphragm, which controls our breathing. So for about a minute, the person, or if you, even less than that, the person is not breathing, but then starts to breathe again. Um, and there's no, the majority of times, people just recover without any damage or, or because of, of a lock, lack of oxygen, as some people are worried about. But that's, uh, that is something that... Um, uh, that, that happens, and so there's a way to, to describe it. But other types of seizures are the ones that are, can cause even a lot of disability, as Cynthia mentioned, because it's one of those things that doesn't go noticed. So if someone's just staring off into space, um, they may not notice it. They, someone may not notice that they're actually doing it, and unless someone is living with them and looking at them all day long, they may not notice that they're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And that, those are the ones that we worry about, because how would you know if you're staring off if you're not there? So what is happening? Like, what is dangerous about that? Well, the dangerous part is that, uh, and most, majority of seizures are, so, are self-limited. We have our checks and balances in our brain that help us to stop the seizure. And when those fail, those safeguards fail, that's when we need to add medications. But those, um, if that seizure is lasting about a minute, the person is not aware of the surroundings. So they're staring off. You can't snap them out of it. Um, and so if that person is in the middle of intersection and all of a sudden stops, you can imagine the harm of that, or if that person yes. is in a bathtub, yes. right? And so there's a, a, a few things that we have to worry about, and we, we, do, we do have a lot of lengthy discussions about seizure safety and, um, and, and safety around public, et cetera. Um, but those are the, the worrisome ones. Um, as our population ages and so my patients who are elderly, I was worried about the shaking seizures, the big ones. So if someone already has uh, thin bones and they're falling down and shaking, there's a potential for them to break a hip, for example, which obviously has this complication. So... I worry more. I'd rather have someone be on a small dose of medications to prevent the seizure so they don't get hurt. 
Yes, I, and you're talking about the grand mal seizure. Yeah, exactly. If if you're with someone who is experiencing that type of seizure, what are you supposed to do? Okay, um, so this is the, it's an important part because I think we've had a lot of uh, recent social media about this, as a, um, and especially in the U.S. where someone was a, was a, a brave enough and, and jumped to a car or someone having a seizure and was able to stop them. But I think that what we had tried to highlight is that the one thing you should never do is trying to put your finger in a person's mouth. Um, I think that it's still a misunderstanding, and I still hear this, this old wives' tale about someone saying that they're not going to swallow the tongue. So I think the most important thing is, besides obviously panicking and worrying and jumping to conclusions, is saying, okay, I'm going to put the person on their side, I'm not going to put anything to their mouth, I'm just going to start to time the seizure. Um, and if there's anything around that could potentially hurt them, such as a chair or a rock or something, or will move them away from them, trying to un- unloosen any ties. Um, but, I mean, it, it, you can't imagine the number of times I've heard people say, oh, you know, I put my finger in the mouth, I put a cloth in the mouth, and, you know, I tried to catch your tongue. <laughs> and those are very, you know, worrisome things because you can actually hurt yourself and the patient. Cynthia, um, other myths about epilepsy, that is certainly one that the doctor has clarified. Uh, other things that we may have heard as old wives' tales that uh, should be corrected? Those are the two big ones, <clears throat> not putting anything in their mouth and, and, well, don't restrain the person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And often, um, you know, I think even paramedics, even police officers, they they don't know that this is what the person is, what's happening to that person, and particularly if they haven't actually fallen down and if they're flailing, and these are all involuntary motions, so basically guide them into safety and um, just let it take its course. Again, just a few minutes left here uh, with our guests on uh, epilepsy. This is Epilepsy Awareness Month, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Doctor, let's talk about treatment for epilepsy. Have treatments improved? Where are we at with this? Um, so the treatments have improved. Um, the, we have a lot more medications than when I started practicing. Um, and the medications themselves are not, we haven't proven that one is better than the other, but we have shown that, that some of these medications may be better in one particular subgroup. So we have medications that are better for young women who are, are more likely to get pregnant, that are less teratogenic, that they can safely deliver babies with. We have medications that are safer for the, adult, for the elderly. So we have certain medications that are less likely to cause cognitive problems. Um, when I see patients who have been on medications for 20 or 30 years, I look at medications that are better for the bones because certain medications that have been around for longer than I've been alive are also more likely, for example, to cause bone thinning uh, because they affect the vitamin D. So I take all these into consideration when I see a patient. It's not just, uh, it's not just a, uh, looking at the dose, but looking at the whole patient together. Um, when medications fail, that's when, as, as an epileptologist, I look at, one, is this the medication right for the patient? So if someone has a genetic type of epilepsy, I look into saying, well, maybe this medication actually might be worsening them, and I look into one that's more appropriate. I also look at the fact that maybe these medications are just not going to work, and keep adding medications is going to cause more problems and, and not get to the root of the problem. And I know that sometimes some patients don't like to hear this, but maybe there's a surgical option. Maybe there's a, a potential that we can do a, a small surgery that, that, to try and remove the offending part of the brain. And that's where we've come to a lot in, in, this, uh, in, in the last sort of decade is away from the, the looking at these, quote, last options and looking at them as maybe this is the next option. Maybe we can look into a, a surgical option. Okay. My pet uh, interest is um, the ketogenic diet. So I have in an appropriate patient, we may use that as a, as a way to treat uh, seizures if there are, that are refractory to medications. Okay, well, all of a sudden, our lines are jammed with questions. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have more callers than we do uh, minutes left in the show. Uh, but we will go to Robin in Welland. Go ahead, Robin. You've just got a minute or two here with the doctor. 
Okay, well, I had a dog um, who had epilepsy, and he had a low tolerance to drugs. So I used to give him flaxseed, mm. and the, the flaxseed worked. Now, once in a while, he might have one, but um, he, uh, I found that the flaxseed worked. It's really high in omega-3, and apparently that's supposed to be very good for you. Okay, Robin, when, doctor, what do you think about that? Oh, well, not being a veterinarian, obviously, it's challenging, but, uh, but I mean, the flaxseed, obviously, is a very healthy seed. It, it has a lot of good oils and fiber. Um, that, to be honest, we don't know because there is some evidence about using omega-3s in, in the animal world and, and for treating seizures, but it just hasn't. Uh, we're trying to get more evidence for it in humans. Um, but, I mean, there is definitely a lot of different treatments. Uh, and, of course, it's always interesting to me how dogs and humans can have such similar conditions like epilepsy, and yet we don't understand the underlying mechanisms always. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for calling in. You're uh, welcome. So just before we wrap up here, uh, Cynthia, uh, it, being that it is Epilepsy Month, uh, give us some details on how we can get involved or how we can find out more information for ourselves or our loved ones if we're inflicted with this disorder. Okay, so I know some of your viewers are from the U.S., so that it is Epilepsy Awareness Month in the U.S. It is in March. It is in Canada. So um, we we get both, uh, both months. Um, it is, uh, it's important to have a, a month. Ours is March. We have a gala, March 25th. And, uh, well, March 25th is what Epilepsy Awareness Month, and our gala is the 24th of March. And uh, for all of those affected, we cover a big area, and if people um, hear this show and they want to call, you call one eight six six epilepsy and you'll be directed to your um, immediate um, close community. And that, that call works in Ontario. It works in Ontario, yes. one epilepsy and, and let's get a website on here, too, because uh, a lot of people go for their information online these days. Okay, so we are epilepsysco.org. Okay, thank you for coming in, and doctor, thank you. It was yeah. very interesting. Thank and you if anybody much. wants any more information, you can also visit my website at seizuredoc.com. Say, um, say it one more time. Seizuredoc. Uh, seizuredoc.com. Yeah, and so and also they can also link to the other epilepsy agencies and and get any other information they get they want uh, to get out of there. Okay, fantastic. Uh, thank you again, and thank you to Christine Ross who produced Fight Back today, and technical producer Mirna Trogolich. We've got the news coming up next with Bob Comsick, and then the number ones at one with Norm Edwards here on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.